call out our sermon text today. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 18 to 26, can be found in your pew Bible on page 668. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. And he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This is also vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me this morning? This morning. Heavenly and Holy Father, Father, we come to you today. Father, as our God who is mighty above all things, who is mighty to save, who is mighty and gracious to hear our prayers. Father, we diligently come to you by the power of your Holy Spirit and through your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this morning for members of our church. We pray for Kay Carlson, Lord. Would you continue to bring healing as she has just had her hip surgery? Father, we rejoice in that day that we've been waiting for for her. We pray with this hip surgery that she will find more ease to walk, more comfort, free from pain, Father, continue to bring that relief to her. We pray for Deb Hextrom as well. Father, would you lead the Hextrom family? Father, as as you so diligently have already. Father, they are tough in their resolve and their faith in you. Father, help them to continue that with this grave news. Would you empower them? Would you give them strength? Would you give the doctors wisdom to go forward with the treatments and what to do in the coming days, in the coming months? We lift them up to you, Lord. Pray for Meredith Shepherd Geiger as well. Father, would you be with the doctors tomorrow morning as they look to do some surgery. Father, may you give a skilled mindset 
as they follow surgery around around the spine is never never an easy task. So would you be with them? Father, would you, may this bring her comfort, may this bring her healing. Uh, and Father, may you uh, do a great work in this. We also want to lift Allie Nelson up to you as well, Father, as, as she is trying to recover from her back, her back pains. Father, as she is still sets at home, uh, Father, we look forward to her being able to come back with us. Uh, here in the body. So we pray you bring her peace uh, as she waits uh, on you to bring her healing. Pray for our church body as well. Would you continue to, to bring those within our doors? Bring us new people with the desire for your word, with the desire of the love of Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray for our pulpit committee as they uh, diligently uh, start to interview and start to talk with, with men who are interested in serving as our pastor here at Grace. Father, would you give them wisdom and discernment? Would you lead them in prayer and in your word uh, that they would know that this is your man? Pray for those who continue to come and to fill the pulpit. We pray for those who do the music for us, Lord. May you bring more people willing to serve in that way. Father, we pray for our partners across the nations. We pray for GG Fan. Pray for 20 Schemes, and we pray for our UF, Lord. Would you continue to use these ministries in the building of your kingdom and the sharing of the gospel to people who, who have never heard it, and in some cases, people who have heard it, but continue to grow them and their love for Jesus Christ. Pray for our nation as well. Father, as we come upon an election year, pray that those who come forth, uh, that they would, uh, that you would lead them to seek you, uh, to seek your will, uh, to seek your, your word. So Father, uh, let us pray the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
Take your Bibles and open them to Luke chapter 12. As you're turning to Bibles, I I really, as we're talking about prayer requests, I cover your prayers uh, for myself. <laughs> um, this, when I sort of kind of took on all this stuff, I was like, well, this won't be that bad. Well, it's, it's a lot of work. Um, uh, so with, with a little bit of, uh, worry of extreme high blood pressure and stuff, as, is the, as we talked as a session, uh, this last week, we're going to try to figure out, uh, how to maybe rearrange some things and relieve some, uh, so-called stress on myself. So pray for that, diligently. So, um. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, if you would, uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 12, which you probably already have. Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 34. And someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful, plentifully. 
And he thought to himself, well, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing, do as small a thing as that. Why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, the treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches, and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father, we come before you with this word. Father, I pray that your spirit would be with me, your spirit be present to give words uh, to the preaching of your word. Father, your spirit would move in the hearts of those here listening today, and that your preach would, would preach word would glorify you and magnify your kingdom here this morning. I ask all this in Jesus' name. So one of the desires to get up here especially with a text like this, is to start to talk about the broken down society and their wants, their wrong wants and their wrong needs. Which is all true, but Jesus isn't addressing the society or the world in his teachings here. He's addressing his followers. He's addressing the church. As we've seen in our previous text, even all the way back to when we listened to in, in, in chapter 11, verses 29 uh, to 54, Jesus wanted us to listen and to hear. Put the word of God in your heart. Jesus is teaching his disciples to say, look at what they're, how they're doing. Don't do that. I want you to do this. And even as Adam led us through last week, the concept of beware, 
Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and walk with and like Jesus. Right? Don't be hypocrites as they are. Do as I do. And we come to our text today where Jesus tells his disciples to guard their hearts and to seek the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus has been teaching his followers really how to set themselves apart from the world and how they are to pursue and live in the kingdom of God. He's continuing to do that. And here we have the concept of guarding our hearts and seeking the kingdom of God. And so a question I want to kind of, again, like I like to do is, have this question on the forefront of your mind as you listen and we reflect on God's word here. And the question is this, where is your heart? And whose kingdom are you focused on? Where is your heart? And whose kingdom are you focused on? Well, you'll find in your in, in your bulletin, an outline of our time together and the big idea. And the big idea, I hope, is this, is one sentence, is followers of Christ are to guard their hearts and focus on the kingdom of God. Followers of Christ are to guard their hearts and focus on the kingdom of God. The first point is this, guard your hearts against covetousness. Covets, I have a hard time saying that word, covetousness. Uh, and that's spilled out for us in, in, in here. It's, 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 not a, it's not a brain teaser to find the, the point here. Take care and be on your guard. And someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me judge and arbitrator over you? Well, just a real quick thing. Jesus, one thing Jesus wants to understand is that the church is not in the business of settling civil disputes. Right? It's one little lesson we learn uh, in church government is like it's not the responsibility of the church to settle civil disputes. But we don't want I don't want to we're not going to get into that into that mud here. But what we do want to see is the brother's desire to have his to the brother's desire to have what his brother has. Right? It's not the fact that this brother wants to be treating, treated fair. It's the fact that the brother wants what his brother has. Tell my brother to give me part of the inheritance. And what this, what this insinuates is when one gets consumed by wanting what others have, Jesus stops being the one to follow and starts being the one to make demands of. Again, this guy is part of the crowd that's been following Jesus. We've had men in the previous text, hey, Jesus, give us a sign. This man says, hey, Jesus, You've been in the pre, you've been telling you, telling everybody, how about you tell my brother 
to give me some of his stuff, some of what I think I am owed. We can, we can fall into a trap of making Jesus our demand giver rather than us seeking Jesus to see what his will is. And with this, Jesus immediately turns to his disciples and he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, covetousness is sort of kind of the uh, creme de la creme of sin. Really, it is. Outside of what Jesus pointed out is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, covetousness comes close second. This is what leads Adam and Eve to partake and eat of the fruit. Because Satan's like, hey, the serpent's like, hey, man. You, this is all he's going to give you. There's more. There's way more for you to have. You can even be like God if you just eat the fruit. There's way more to be had. So that want of what us, somebody else has had, not being content with what God has given them. And also, as we as we go through the Old Testament, Israel is is no exception. They want what the other nations have. Give us a king. God's like, well, I'm the king. Well, all these other nations have human kings set over them, so we want to we want to be like those other nations, right? And the manna you give us, well, that's not good enough. You know, it tastes okay, but other people get to eat meat. Why can't we get a little meat with our with our manna? That'd be great because other people have that. And also the religious leaders of Jesus' day, their covetousness of what others had, other kingdoms, they, they fought and scraped to get the, the, the sense of power. They wanted what that next person always wanted. All gave in to the promises of the better things the world promised. So this sense of covetousness isn't new. We all are victims of that every now and then. I mean, we all, we all suffer from, hey, we see someone roll up in a new car, ooh, that's nice, I'd like to have that. You know, or uh, someone who, who has, who's got just a, uh, a better job and some better pay. Like, man, that would be great. We all struggle with that. We're not free from that. But Jesus gives the parable to give his followers a description of what one's life is when it does consist in the abundance of his possessions. He tells them this as he told them a parable saying, the land of the rich man produced plentifully and he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? So I'm going to have a series of questions with these as we walk through these. And the first question with this one is, how do you, how do you respond to the rich man's dilemma? How do you respond to the rich man's dilemma? I mean, after all, the land has produced more than it usually does. I don't know if 
we have some farmers in here. I mean, when that happens, that's that's great. That's awesome. You know, we need to build another grain bin. We need to do this. We need to get that stuff stored away. But what the text says, the land of the rich man produced, and he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? Well, in Jesus' day, we're like, well, that's, that's a no-brainer. Struggle with famine. We need to store the food away for later times. And we're thinking to ourselves, well, that's not... It's not a bad decision. I mean, it's it's just that's good of a good mindset. Put that stuff away. Use it for later use. In verse 18, and he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns. Well, so he's going to build new. He had barns, but he's going to build down the old ones and build larger ones. And there I will store my grain but not just the grain that's plentiful, but he's also going to store all his goods in there. So how do you respond to the decision of the rich man? I mean, we're going to respond, and the matter is like, well, what's, what's the deal? What, I don't see any problem with this. Again, this is a good business decision. We're not really going to struggle through these questions because our senses, our, our our sense wants to tell us, well, that's well, that's a no-brainer. And in verse 19, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. So how do you respond to the rich man's desires? Are you still tracking with the rich with the rich man and his attitude? What the rich man is saying here, he's like, I am good to go. I have stored up all this stuff. Now nothing, nothing is against me. I have done my job, and now I'm going to sit comfortably for such and such a time because I have the comfort now to do so. But Jesus goes on to say, but God said to him, fool, this night, your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? We hear that in the, in the Old Testament reading we had, right? All the toil and all the, all the wisdom and stuff, and someone else gets to enjoy that. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. You see where Jesus is getting at with his disciples, with his followers. He wants them to seize that that what you see out there, you do not, you don't need to go after that stuff because it will consume you. It will devour you. You need to maintain your focus. And so with that text, we ask the final question, how do you respond to the death of the boastful rich man. How do you respond to the death of the boastful rich man? Because how we should respond, we should be saddened. Because it's a sad thing for those to die in their sin without salvation in Christ. Because when we pursue the things of this world, that's what we're doing. 
as we pursue more and more and more things of the world, we distance ourselves from the kingdom of God. You see where Jesus is getting at here in this text. I will tell you one thing, what the world does give freely is hell in a nice little gift basket. Because that's the rich man's end. And so, what covetousness breeds in us, one, as we saw, is selfishness. I'm going to store up all of my abundance for myself. Right? That's that's one lesson from the covetous. I'm going to store up stuff for myself. Secondly, covetous gives us a false sense that we are the lords of our lives. In his comfortableness, in his sort of, I can rest now, I can be at ease. God says, you fool, your soul is required of you now. What good was all that for the rich man now for others to enjoy it? Actually, covetous give us the false sense of lordship over Jesus, right? Hey, you, Jesus, give me what I want. Jesus, I want you to tell my brother... I want, you know, a lot of time we're kind of like a child in a store when it comes to that. I want, really kind of like, it's kind of like that character on Willy Wonka, like Baruch Assault, right? Dad, I want an Oompa Loompa. Well, we'll get you one at some point in time. No, I want an Oompa Loompa now. That's, that's the concept of, I want it now. And Jesus is trying to teach his disciples that that which that promise gives is not the promise that I am offering you. The promise I offer you is eternal. The promise the world offers you is now and temporal and will go away. The second point, move on to the second point, which is this. Your needs and his kingdom. Right? Your needs and his kingdom. When we do talk about our needs in today's society, we really, what we're talking about is our wants. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, or what you will put on it. We here don't be anxious. Yeah, 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 don't be anxious. What we don't hear, what I wish, what I want you guys to take away, one thing I want you to take away from this text here today is when Jesus says, I tell you. I tell you. There's a movie, I don't know if anyone, everyone's familiar with the movie Goodwill Hunting. Who, who's seen... Who has seen the movie Goodwill Hunting? Right? Great, great movie. There's a point in that movie where Robin Williams' character and Matt Damon's character, and Robin Williams is a psychiatrist, Matt Damon is sort of this kind of 
troubled, troubled uh, kid, grew up in foster care. Um, and they come to this, they're, they're building this relationship and they come become really close because they're from the same part of Boston. They're becoming really close. And finally, Robin Williams just steps up to the plate and, and uh, kind of becomes that guy in the relationship. He's, he's ready to do a break, have a breakthrough and he steps up to Matt Damon and he says, it's not your fault. And Matt Damon's like, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. No, he steps closer to him and says, it's not your fault. And Matt Damon's like, yeah, I know. And he steps even closer to him and he says, it's not your fault. And Matt Damon's starting to, he's starting to kind of cry a little bit because there's this personal relationship that is growing. And, and Robin Williams' character says, I am here for you. I'm telling you, it's not your fault. Well, that's the picture that Luke is painting us here. Jesus is saying, I tell you, don't be anxious. Yeah, yeah, I know. No, Jesus steps closer and says, I'm telling you, don't be anxious. Jesus in his personal relationship with his followers wants them to know, don't be anxious about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, or even anxious about your life because your life is more than that stuff. So what is Jesus trying to tell us in these next verses? Well, one, don't be anxious. Right? Do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Right? In the previous, as we started out, take care and be on your guard against for one's life does not consist of the abundance. Right? For life is more than food. Life is more than just the body. And he goes on to give them some illustrations, right? Consider the ravens. They, do, they neither reap nor sow. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Right? That was the foolish part of the rich man, thinking that he was really okay. He's good to go. God, uh-uh. Nope, you can't, nowhere can you add an hour to your life. And you can't even do as small thing as that. So why are you anxious about the rest? You know, some of the, I mean, really, a lot of the commentators on this text were really as bold, as bold to say, as Christians, we are not to be anxious. That's a bold statement. To throw out there because again we we all have it, but it's it there is some truth in it. What's here? What God is? What Jesus is trying to tell his disciples? What God has given us for our station, He has given us that which you need. He has given. That's it. It's in a, some He's given more, right? Some He's given less. 
We need to be content in the station where God has us today or maybe this year. That's our station. If we want to covet other things outside of God, well then now we're, now we're demanding God to do more than what He has given us. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in his all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so close the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? What is Jesus trying to get his disciples to understand? He's trying to get them to understand, to guard your hearts, that you do not make the temporal needs of this world your priority. Make the kingdom of God your priority. He goes on to say, For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Now, to be careful there, it's not a... Uh, We've got to be careful that this isn't a sense of, of a works type of, I'm going to seek the kingdom, therefore God's going to give me all the things that I want. No, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying is, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you as, as God's will be fit. Keep in mind, again, this isn't a law thing. It's not a do this and you get this. It's a sanctified thing. It's a growing as a disciple thing. It's learning how to be a good representative of God's kingdom thing. As we, as we work through the text here, we will start to see that. But what Jesus wants them to see is to see his kingdom, right? Look past your needs and look at his kingdom. Seek his kingdom. Focus on the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is the only kingdom really worth laboring for. We as followers need to see that. We need to see that the kingdom of God is the only kingdom that will endure forever. Store up money bags for moths to take away. What good is that? J.C. Ryle puts it, puts it best as, as we to finish up this section of the text. J.C. Ryle says this, The man to whom the promise before us belongs is the Christian who gives to the things of God, their right order, and their right place. He does not neglect the worldly duties of his station. Pay attention to that because, again, as we're talking about storing up stuff, Jesus is not saying you just need to be frivolous with your money or frivolous with your belongings because that's not what it because the Bible doesn't teach that. We need to save for our retirement. We need to save for a rainy day. We need to Make sure we have money to fix our stuff and not put back cares of other, on other people's shoulders. That's not what I'm saying here, right? But what we're saying here is that he does not, but he regards them as of infinitely less importance than the requirements of God. That's what we're getting at. He does not omit due attention to his temporal affairs, but he looks on them as a far less moment than the affairs of his soul. Goes on, in short, he aims in all his daily life to put God first and the world second. That's what Jesus is trying to get his disciples to.
to see, to give the second place to the things of his body and the first place to the things of his soul. This is the man to whom Jesus says, all these things will be added to you. We are to live like beings who have immortal souls to be lost or saved. A death to die, a God to meet, a judgment to expect, and an eternity in heaven or in hell awaiting us. So how do we bring all this together? How do we, how do we get to the heart of the matter? Well, that's our third point. And we'll get wrapped up here. Uh, the third point is, that, is it's not really the heart of the matter. It's the place of the heart is the matter. The place of the heart is the matter. Jesus goes on to say, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You see, the Lord Jesus knew well the hearts of his disciples. He knew how ready they were to be filled with fears and every of every description, persecution, you know, hunger, you know, not a place to sleep. He wants us to realize that too. Fear not, because I am with you. I will provide the needs you need. And, and the concept of little flock, we pray for people to come into our church and to build our body, but what we have here today is really the picture of the church. Jesus says, the flock's little. There's not going to be many there. This is, what we have here is the picture, the true picture of the church. Little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Are we members? Are you a member of Christ's little flock here today? then surely we ought not to be afraid. There has been given to us exceeding great and precious promises. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Friends, God is ours. And Christ is ours. And greater are those that are for us than all that are against us. And with Christ on our side, we have no cause to fear. Friends, the good news is that the kingdom of God has been given freely to us. Not by any work or toiling to acquire it, but by all the work of Christ. We can find rest in that. We can work our fingers to the bone and the sweat on our brow to store up an abundance in our storehouses, but we don't have to work to be followers of Christ. We've been given freely His kingdom. What we do have to work for is to be good stewards and good followers in His kingdom that others may see. And so what? So what with that? Well, he goes on to say, he goes on to say, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that no grow old. Let loose. Now, 
what I don't want to happen here today is I don't want anyone to leave here and sell all your possessions. That would be absolutely careless. That's not what the text is telling us. The correct translation is let loose. Let loose your possessions. Uh, don't make your possessions your treasure, the source of your life. We are to let loose, to give up anything and deny ourselves anything which stands in the way of our soul's salvation. We are to give. Give to the needy. And who are the needy? Well, the needy, it's our fellow brothers and sisters from the above verses who are worried about what they will eat, if they will have clothes to wear, if they will have a place to sleep and stay warm, or maybe need to pay a utility bill for gas in the car. God uses those who have that abundance in that storehouse to utilize to give to those. That's how God works in his kingdom. Well, there was a time when Jenny and I, we did... Uh, financial struggle was just sort of a natural part of our daily lives. Times where we didn't have food in the cupboard and, and stuff like that, but God used either my parents or her parents to go and buy groceries and, and stuff like that. So God used it. Those who have the storehouse are to use it and to give to the needy, to give to the poor. Let loose the temporal things that have been given us, for Christ has given us everything. All that we need, Christ has given. All that we should want is to walk with Christ, is to be like Christ, is to serve into God's kingdom. And the last sentence is the sentence that really we need to take with us as we For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Would you know what your treasure is? Are you sitting in the chase seats today, scheduling out your week in your head? Or are you focused on the kingdom of God? Are you focused on the priest? word of God? Are you focused on singing hymns and glorifying him here this morning? Let us ask ourselves what we love most. But the question I asked before, as we followed through this, where's your heart? Do you know where your heart is today? This is the true test of our Christian character. And I'm going to use the table before us. The table before us uh, that we will not partake, that we pray and reflect, is a reminder of the treasure that's promised us in Jesus. His work, His blood on the cross, that we would be forgiven and given a place in His kingdom forever. And this isn't by any of our labors or any of our gathering, but by the free grace of God, our Father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Father, thank you for your love and your Son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that those who have found salvation in Christ 
that we can find rest in your kingdom. Father, help us to go out and to seek your kingdom and know that you are, you are the one who fills our needs. You are the one who lays out the plan for us. Help us to diligently seek your kingdom. Help us to diligently know that everlasting life is the promise that you give. And even in, in, in our little bit that we may have, Father, let that be a testimony to those outside of, in the world, to ask questions, how can you find contentment having nothing? Or how can you find complete contentment and to give what you have freely? What is it about that? Let them ask questions, Father. Use that uh, out in our community as we go out here uh, today. So, Father, these things we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So again, as we we as we don't come to the table, um, as we are good stewards of our presbytery, and we like to follow the rules, and being Presbyterians, we should like rules.